Good morning, everyone. I greet you all in the name of Jesus. It's good to be back here again after, I think, six weeks. So I saw some of you while we watched at home. Anyhow, maybe I should give a little report on Wyatt's condition. She took a big improvement for the better this past week, and so we're really grateful for that. Had an appointment with the surgeon on Wednesday, and he was very pleased, and uh, she had a list of questions written down. One is if she could drive the car, and he gave her permission to drive short distances, and she can take herself to the therapist now, which is really helpful, because a lot of times her appointment were around noon, which sort of either ruined the first part or the second part of the day. I shouldn't say that because it was all good. But anyhow, <laughs> one question she had said, we have this riding mower. She said, no. <laughs> she didn't even have to finish it. But I want to thank all of you for your prayers and for coming by and for the food you brought us. We sure didn't lose any weight because of lack of things to eat. But today is Palm Sunday, so uh, and if you look in your Bible, you know, you won't find that title there, but uh, the, the story of Palm Sunday, or as the Bible headings usually say, the triumphal entry of Christ, uh, all four of the Gospels carry this story, and, and different Gospels carry interesting parts that are different from what the others do. And if you Remember seeing the pictures in the Bible storybook, you see people spreading palm leaves on the ground and on the road and their clothes and a lot of people around and waving and, and just having a, a great time, expecting great things from the one they thought was going to be their king here on this earth. So anyhow, I'd like to read this story from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, and we start at verse 1. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus sent two, two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And in Mark it says, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. And I think this is very important in, in the story. And uh, yeah, I'd like to go back to Zechariah where we have a, a prophecy about that. Uh, Zechariah 9, 9. It's a rather long verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the part that, that no one ever sat on this donkey, I, I think is really significant here because what would happen if you would try to ride a donkey or a colt that has never had anyone sit on it? It would not be a pretty picture. But uh, this donkey was calm and... Uh, did what Jesus wanted him to do. Okay, now this took place that was spoken through the prophet that it might be fulfilled. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. 
And I don't think a donkey was usually what a king would ride on because I think kings wanted horses and a white horse was considered the proper animal for a, a king to use. Anyhow, verse 6, And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them and brought the donkey and colt and laid on them their garments on which he sat. Now, it's interesting here, it, it talks about two here in Matthew, and I think that's the only place you read about the two, but anyhow, I think it's probably obvious that it was the, the young colt. And most of the multitude spread their garments in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees. And one of the Gospels especially mentioned that they were palm branches. And uh, I guess some of you have been to Florida and seen the size of some of these palm leaves. I remember one time we were driving down the street, and this palm branch was, was laying on, it looked like a branch, you know, it's just one leaf, I guess, laying on the road. And I picked it up to put it off the street. And, yeah, I mean, it was probably twice as tall as I am with the stem and everything, so I don't know what size palms they were using. I guess palms come in many different sizes and shapes. Okay. And the multitude going before him and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the multitudes were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And uh, I come back to that part about the, the coat again in a little bit. Anyhow, I was thinking about how God worked a miracle with this animal. I was thinking about the other, uh, a number of other times when God worked miracles involving animals in the Bible. And maybe this would seem more like children's stories, but anyhow. Uh, there's one part in the, in the story of creation that I wonder if anybody could, could guess what I'm referring to about how God worked miracles with animals. That's what I was thinking. It says he brought them all, the animals and birds, to him. And that would have been interesting to see, would it not have, if he'd brought them by pair by pair or, or how this was. And uh, also be interesting to know how close to the, the same names we have for the animals today. You know, if we have the name of, of something in the Bible, I guess. We would say that's what it is in English because that's what we call it now. Okay, anyhow, then the next was the flood. And you know how God caused all the animals and the birds to come together to go into the ark? And then another one that's more interesting, well, maybe not, but anyhow, very interesting, is Balaam's donkey. In Numbers 22, Balaam wanted to curse the Israelites, and the angel of God stood in the way three times. Of course, Balaam didn't see the ark, I mean the angel, but the the donkey did, and in verse 28, uh, it's, it says, and the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And it's interesting what, what the donkey said. He wasn't saying, why are you hitting me? That hurts. He asked him the question, haven't I been your faithful donkey all these years? And you know, one of the things that is his 
his mouth was open, but he had a, a sense of reasoning. So I don't know what animals normally think when they can't talk to us. And then the story of Jonah and the big fish, you know, this took some precise timing for the right fish to be at the right place at the right time. And the Ark of the Covenant, when the Philistines had captured the Ark, and it ended up being real trouble for them, I think they probably figured if they take the Ark of the Lord from the Israelites, their power would be gone. But they didn't realize that what was good for the Israelites was bad for them. And, you know, they, get, they got sick, got boils. And I don't remember reading exactly that people died, but it, one place I noticed it said that the ones that did not die got boils. So I think that's saying that a number of them died as well. Anyhow, they, they had a problem on their hand is how to get rid of this ark. So you know the story, I'm sure. And in 1 Samuel 6, 7, it says they took two milch cows. And it's interesting, in, in Pennsylvania Dutch, we say milch. But in Germany, they say milch, it's one syllable. And it's, it just sounds like you're sort of tongue-tied. But anyhow, they took two, uh, and the Living Bible says fresh cows. And then it also mentions that they never had a yoke on them. And I'm sure that's not common that you just put a yoke on cows and, and hitch them up without any problems. And they hitched them to a new cart, put the ark on it, and they took the calves away, it mentions, and the, the cows headed toward Israel, lowing. Good News Bible says mooing as they went. But it's interesting. Then Daniel, of course, he was involved with animals in a very real way. And the next morning, he told the king, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Okay, the main part of the story, or the lesson of Palm Sunday, is that it was fulfilling another prophecy to the Jewish people about the coming Messiah. You know, they should have put this together and say, this is what Zechariah prophesied. And instead of that, they saw it as a threat. And, you know, the people were gathering around and praising him so much that the people are, are leaving us with the Jewish ways and following him. So God is good, isn't he? The way he, he tries to get his people or people of the world to follow him, even today. Okay, let's bow our heads for prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love and mercy to us. Thank you for your goodness and for your patience with us. Thank you that it is your will that all men should come to you. And we pray that many people might come to you today. We pray that we might glorify your name here. pray that you bless all the classes and the message afterwards. and Just work your way in each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, each and every one. Uh, I guess my story is probably starts out like a lot of other people's story. I was uh, brought here by my parents. Um, but I grew up in a uh, Christian home. I was exposed to God all my life. Uh, probably around the age of 11 and 12, I realized that I had a need for a Savior. I kind of probably pushed that back. I didn't want to. Uh, I guess it's that human nature in us, you know, pushing back on that. And, you know, I knew what was right. I was taught what was right. Um, then, 
age of 13, I kind of had a life experience that brought me pretty close to face with death and brought reality home. Uh, I laid in a hospital bed for a long time, and in that hospital bed, I realized I was not ready to meet my Savior, and that if I would have died, I didn't know there was questions there, you know. And so, at the age of 13, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, my Lord and Savior. I knew I needed Him, and it was... It was something that made a huge impact and difference in my life. I was 15 when I got baptized. Uh, after I got baptized, um, I kind of slid into that routine. It's easy to be look good on the outside, and you know the inside doesn't necessarily match the part on the outside. And I kind of became a young, rebellious teenager, unhappy with the way life was going. I knew, I felt like. I felt like there was a lot of things that, you know, were going my way and I, how I wanted to. But then I listened to a very powerful sermon uh, that it brought home to me the reality of that relationship with Jesus being personal and it's being for you. And it's not, it's not necessarily you do it because the church wants you to or, you know, it's, it's, it's personal and I kind of renewed my commitment at the age of 17, and I like, believe Jesus is my Savior, and I know that he's my Lord. And I kind of chose a verse this morning. It's a verse that has encouraged, it's two verses that have encouraged me a lot. And it's something that I kind of make a goal in my life. It's Titus 2, verses 7 and 8. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. I guess I kind of make that my life motto. You know, I want to be able to serve God. I want to be able to serve my Lord and Savior and be a faithful follower. And with that being part of my goal in life, I realized that I need a body of believers to be a part of. I can't do it on my own. I need support, and I've chosen Faith Christian to be that part. And I just thank you for what all you've done in the past two years that I've been here, and I look forward to more happy years with you all. Thank you. Well, good morning again. Uh, this morning is a little bit... It feels a little bit different for me, the topic I want to cover. Uh, one, I had, had preached on an aspect of this about three months ago, and I won't ask if you remember that or not. Um, the, other, the other reason it's a little bit different for me is that I often try not to do this, um, but the basic framework for what I'm talking about is something that, um, that I have read, and, and it's just been content that I have that God has taken me back to often over the last two years on a personal note, um, walking my family through it, and then um, I don't know if I should apologize to the school children or not. I talked about this Monday morning here for chapel and realized that for whatever reason, I feel led to share this at church as well. So um, a lot of it comes out of uh, the book, The Young Peacemaker, and the background on this is that it's uh, Ken Sandy's ministry. He's an attorney who has a heart for helping believers understand conflict from God's perspective and respond to it in a godly way. 
Now, it also feels very interesting on the timing because Nate preached last week an excellent sermon on forgiveness. And so it feels like a follow-up, although that was not necessarily the intent of it. It just feels like where God has directed me to go. If you haven't listened to Nate's sermon, um, please go back. Uh, You can download it off of the website and um, listen to the podcast there. So the title uh, for today is that conflict is a slippery slope, but the good news is that we can navigate it with God's help. So I hope that we both understand the seriousness of it, but live with a lot of hope that God does talk about how we go through conflict. And from the get-go, what are we talking about when we talk about conflict? Very simply put, it is often what happens when a desire that you or somebody has that is not met. That will result in conflict, or at least can result in conflict. So think of those situations, but also think of, of things that upset you or things that are just difficult or that are painful. Um, those are the things that we're going to talk about today. I'm going to use the whiteboard. Um, Nate talked about God loading us with benefits. I'm going to be guilty of loading you with papers today. I do have an outline that hopefully um, will help you in following along um, in what we're talking about. Liam, would you pass out the outlines on this side here? Um, And let's see here. Micah, would you um, be willing to help here as well, passing out on this side? Anybody, everybody can get one. Yep, anybody can have one. Um, If you are old enough to write, you you can follow along and fill things in. Once they are done uh, passing these out, I want to comment on the outline and share a brief story as we we get into this. So um, I do list the scriptures that we're going to look at today on the outline, and I I will say we won't spend a lot of time on them. I will put them on the screen. I may not even read in their entirety, but they are here if you want to go back and, and look at them more. Um, Is anybody else like me, and if you're filling in blanks and somehow the speaker doesn't follow it and you skip a blank, it just bugs you and you wonder what's going on? Is anybody anybody else like that? Okay, I want to just tell you up front. So we're going to talk about three responses to conflict, and you will find the answers to those uh, at the get-go. Then we're going to go down um, in the order and fill in A, B, and C. Under D, for motivation and root causes... That is just, there's not a certain right answer. I would like you to observe and write in what, you are, what you're learning. And then we're going to skip E, where it says focus. And I hope that doesn't distract anybody to the point of not being able to listen. And at the end, we'll fill those in for all of them. So just to make sure that you all aren't worried that I'm, I've lost my place in the outline. Does that make sense? And then there's just some personal reflection questions at the bottom. All right, uh, to get started, I want to tell a story, um, and unfortunately, this is not a good story. I am the person with the problem in the story. So Nate has some wonderful brothers who are a year younger and a year older than I am. We played together all of the time, and there's this one incident. Thankfully, we laugh about it today, but I don't even know why, because this is a bad idea from the start. We were chasing each other around in the yard, and we all had sticks, and we were trying to catch each other and hit each other on the backside. 
And, and so we were having a relatively good time. Um, I, everybody was enjoying themselves. We were chasing each other around. I don't remember why, if I was upset or if I just got carried away, but Nate's younger brother, James, I hit him particularly hard, and he was crying, he was mad, he was hurt, and I'm not sure. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, somebody got hit hard enough that their stick broke. I think it was me when I whacked James. And Tim, being the older brother and the personality that he is, he charged in, and boy, oh boy, did he defend James. So Tim and I had a little go-around, and we had a come-to-Jesus reconciliation fairly soon. James has a different personality, and you could just see the, the black thundercloud of anger on his face, and he stormed off over the hill to his house. And Tim and I, you know what, we just said, okay, fine, we worked out our problem, James can go home, when he's ready, he can come back and we can keep playing. Well, we went on, we had a good time, we were playing, and eventually James comes back, and we kind of give him a hard time about running home to pout. And he insisted, he said, guys, I did not go home because I was mad. I went home to get a snack. I had chocolate chip cookies and milk. I was not mad. And Tim and I just, to this day, will laugh about James insisting that he was not mad. He went home for a snack. Um, clearly, it was not true, but anyway. So in, that, in the story, we had a conflict caused by me. I was clearly in the wrong. We had a response on the one side coming from Tim. We had a response on the other side from James that illustrates uh, what we're going to talk about today. So I want to just draw this on here, and this is the part um, that is not original with me. It just I think it does a great job of describing what we're talking about. So let's just say that this represents a hill that describes conflict, and we're going to divided in roughly into thirds. And on the one side of the coin, you have an attack response. And on the other side of the coin, you have an escape response. And what we want to talk about is both of those a little bit, but primarily in the middle we have a, we'll say a work it out, or this is God's response to conflict. So we have we have an escape, we have a work it out, and an attack. But when you, when you find yourself in conflict, if we can stay on the top of the hill with what God designs, we can get through conflict, okay, and honor God. And I want to say at the get-go, conflict is not wrong. It is a normal part of life. We're called to work through it. It can be wrong. It's often caused by our own sinfulness, but it is not it's not that all conflict is wrong. We literally can't even avoid all conflict. So for those of you filling in the blanks, we are talk, we're going to talk first um, about, boy, I should make sure I have that right. We're going to talk about the attack side. So the first one is an attack response, an escape response, and a work it out um, response. Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about what can happen over here on the attack side. And the way this works is it'll, well, none of this is good. All of this is a slippery slope, but it kind of goes from bad to worse, and you'll see how, how this works. So up at the top, the first one we're going to talk about, I'm gonna, we're going to say this is put-downs. So when, we, when we're hurt and when we find ourselves in conflict, 
one of the responses can be to attack the other person. Well, you can't say that because you, you know, fill in the blank. We, we try to, to, to prove that the other person is wrong. So um, one reaction is, is put-downs. Um, and you know, this is easily seen in children, probably not as easily seen in, in adults, or at least we do a better job of hiding some of these responses. So it is a, it's a put-down. One, uh, the verse that I'd like to remind us about with that is Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And a lot, a lot more that we could say about it. But the warning is, don't have speech come out that is corrupting. It's like it's a rotting. It, it causes things to rot. But it's only, the filter is, is it good for building up? And when we respond by tearing down, it's, it's the exact opposite of that. Does it build up? And at, does it fit the occasion? And I find myself referencing this verse so often in life. Does it build up? Does it fit the occasion? And does, is it a vehicle of God's grace? Um, so that is the warning on, on put-downs for adults. Maybe this just sounds uh, like hurtful words or kind of, um, I don't know, I, use, I would think of the word snarky comments, just kind of taking a jab with your words. Okay, let's go on to the next, uh, the next response over on this side. Um, you can do put-downs to the person, or we can end up in a scenario where we gossip about the person. So if we find ourselves in conflict and it goes on unresolved, it becomes very easy to talk about the person to other people. And we can find ourselves, you know, somebody's come, name comes up and we, we want to fill in the blank, how oh, do you know about what they did to me? And the word for gossip, um, there is that idea of, of tearing people down, but it also just has the idea of betraying somebody's trust that somebody trusted me with something, and then I pass it on in a negative way. And so how do we handle um, the information that we have about people and things that come up? A few verses on gossip, Proverbs 17. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he, he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Gossip is serious. It has the potential to literally pull apart close friends. Proverbs 26. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Have you ever thought about it that it takes at least two people to gossip? It takes at least two people to gossip or allow gossip to continue. So one person... Uh, has to be talking to somebody else. And verse 22 is a warning that participating in gossip on the listening end of things is also damaging. And that can be a real challenge. Uh, the next response, um, as we slide down the slope, put downs gossip, and it ends up just, I'll use the word fight, but that's what happens in children. That's what happens for, happened for Tim and James and I. I don't believe that ends up happening in adults. I would think more in the terms of, of an argument or a quarrel. And a quarrel is just an ongoing argument that doesn't stop, and it ends up just, just poisoning everything. 
Um, so that is, that's where that can lead. One verse, uh, verses related to that is in Galatians, where God tells, that we're, tells us we're called to freedom to serve each other. And the warning is, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed. So we can get into a, into a scenario when we, when we end up over here that we're actually, it's like we're consuming each other. It's taking all of our, our energy and the goodness that should happen in relationship is getting eaten away and is getting consumed um, if we end up sliding down to, the, to that zone. <clears throat> what causes somebody to respond like this? If you find yourself responding over there, and let's be honest, let's, we all have responded on both sides of this coin uh, probably more often than we would want to admit. But what is it that causes us uh, to respond in that way? Some of the things uh, that come to mind is if you're responding in that mode, you want to get what you want, regardless of the consequences. I want what I want, and I'm going to make you give it to me. And so there's a real element of control uh, that's there. It really is an attempt to make somebody else take responsibility for their actions. And does that ever work? Have you ever been forced to take responsibility? You can't. But that side of the coin is, is attempting to do that. And I will also say there's a heavy um, motivation for revenge on that side of the coin. That I've been hurt and I need to, to get you back. One uh, warning just for that whole zone of the slippery slope is in James 1. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And as I think about conflict and how I handle things with, with my children, at work, you name it, knowing it's so sobering for me that knowing into this zone, my anger does not produce the long-term righteousness of God. It might you know, help the situation turn out the way I want to in the short term, but it never produces good fruit in the long term. Okay, that's the one side. Um, let's go to the other side of the coin. We're going to save the, the zone, the work it out zone to last. So going over on the escape side, uh, the first thing that we'll see at the top is the word deny. And that just simply is, if there's a problem, and you don't feel like dealing with it, and so you just act like there is no problem. And you can, you know, this might be outright denying that, you know, that there's a conflict, but more often than not, it's just acting like there isn't one. It's the just ignoring the pink elephant operation that, yeah, there's an issue, but let's not, you know, let's not deal with it. Um, I'm not going to read a specific verse for each one of these three. I'll read a few at the end. One example of, of approaching problems this way in the Bible is Eli with his sons. It says that he, he eventually went to them, but it's interesting in the text it says, I keep hearing this and this and this about you. And so then eventually he goes to his sons. So there was, I don't know how long, where he knew about this stuff, and he just, you know what? I, for whatever reason, I'm not going not gonna to go there. So denying is the, the first response. Um, if you cannot deny it, but you don't want to deal with it, then your next option becomes to blame somebody else. And um, the term that the book uses for that is the blame game. 
and, and that has become part of our vocabulary at the house. Um, the boys may be tired of, of me talking about, guys, are we playing the blame game? But you know what? It, I find myself so often playing the blame game. Yes, you know, this and this and this happened, but here's the other side of the coin. And the blame game, uh, again, we go there when we're trying to cover or to make excuses, and really it is a lack of humility on my part to say, you know, I contributed here and I'm willing to deal with it. Um, in, in Scripture, thinking about the blame game, of course, you think of Adam and Eve. Uh, the children of Israel are a prime example. You know, God rescues them and they say, God, why did you bring us out here to die? And Moses, it's your fault, and we don't like the food that you're giving us. Literally, that's where they went, you know, after being delivered. They blamed God um, for everything. And then, if that doesn't work, uh, the last response is just to run. To run. And, you know, we see that in, you know, and, and sometimes it's appropriate if you're really upset to remove yourself from the situation but what I, what I would say running is just, you know, literally not dealing with the problem, but getting into a zone of where you're avoiding people, you're avoiding problems. You're just, you're doing everything you can um, to keep away from the problem. So, again, we can deny it, we can blame other people, and then we can just try everything that we want to do to run away from it. And over here, you don't ignore the problem, but you attack to get what you want. On this side, you just, you don't want to face the pain and you don't want to deal with the discomfort of resolving a problem. And so you find ways to not deal with it. And one, of, one example that I thought of with this, it's not a relational example, but um, shortly after we were married, uh, I, needed, I knew I needed to go to the dentist. And it was one of those things that like, I know I should go to the dentist every six months, but six months became 12, became, became 18, and two years, and just I just did not want to go to the dentist. I kept putting it off, putting it off. And finally I went, and I had a long list of cavities. I needed a root canal. We felt like we didn't have the money. I didn't want to deal with this stuff. And anyway, long story short, eventually had all the work done. This is kind of embarrassing now, but it seemed different to think about it at home than to say it up here. So bottom line, out of all that, I spent all this money, I had all these teeth problems, and I'm like, you know what, the dentist tells me, so I brush my teeth morning and evening, why is this happening? And they would always say, are you flossing? No, I'm not flossing. So I'm like, what would happen? That's pretty simple, why don't I try this? And so for the last 10 or 15 years, I've essentially had no cavities. So ridiculous, I was avoiding this thing of flossing my teeth every day, that created these big problems. Um, so anyway, that's just a little example of what can happen relationally. We can find ourselves avoiding, 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 which always makes the problem balloon um, in the end. Um, thinking about some scriptures related to the idea of running away from, uh, from conflict, and I won't read out all of this, but this is out of Hebrews 12. And I want you to notice verse 14 where it says, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And the word for strive for peace is the idea of, of chasing down over the long haul, like a, a long running race. And often in the New Testament, we're, we're told 
it, it's a word to, to move after, to chase after peace. It's not just something that happens, but we actually pursue it. So I want you to notice that. Um, and then there's a strong warning about a bitter root or a root of bitterness, depending how you interpret that. Another thing uh, that just speaks to how seriously God takes conflict, in Matthew 5, we're told that if we're in those days, if they went to the temple, they were making a sacrifice, and they remembered that somebody had a problem with them, the direction was to literally leave your sacrifice and go deal with the problem first. And as I look at that attitude that God wants us to have, it's very different than a denying and avoiding attitude. Uh, one more, Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So again, I mean, recognizing that we can only control our side of the equation. All right, um, so those are the, the negative examples. Um, let's get on top of this slope and not slide down. Um, the first option that is up here in working it out is very simple. Very simple to write, very hard to live, and that is to overlook. And again, this ties very closely with what Nate had said um, last, or preached about last Sunday, to just simply overlook um, a, a fault or a conflict. A few verses on that, Proverbs 12, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs 17, 14, beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. So before you open the dam, uh, just stop. Proverbs 19, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And that one, that one is convicting to me that do I really see God helping me to overlook and forgive offenses as, as a glory and a reflection of his character, um, to just to overlook when we are hurt and offended. Okay, so obviously that can't always happen. Um, the next thing that we can do is just very simply, I'll say talk. Um, we can say to go, go to the person and work it out. But if we're not able to forgive on our own, then we are to go to the, offended, the person that has hurt us and wronged us and try to work it out. And then uh, the third area over here, if that doesn't work, then we are to get help. And that simply can mean, you know, maybe there's hard things we're going through where we need somebody to help us know how do we handle that. Um, and you know, we see this, uh, you know, the this passage we often think about is in Matthew 18. And again, I won't, I won't read all of this, but God is saying, if, you know, if somebody has, has a fault that has hurt us, or we notice, we're to go to him alone. If he listens, great. If not, one or two others go along, and then there is a process to bring it to, bring it to the church. All in an effort um, to forgive so that we don't go down the slippery slope of either avoiding um, or attacking. And on the, you know, on the idea of getting help, I had to think about uh, Dave preaching through 1 Corinthians, where there the church um, ended up in lawsuits against each other, and God is saying, much better if, if you're having one of those scenarios Get some brothers or sisters in the church and just let them decide for you. Uh, seek wisdom um, in that way. 
I had to think of, uh, Nate just took us through the story of Joseph. And if you think about Joseph and his brothers, Joseph was able to stay up here. And he was able to overlook it. But it's very important that he wasn't denying the hard things. He was in no way overlooking it in that sense. But he was able to forgive. And if you think about his brothers, they actually, in the end, tried both sides of the coin. So Joseph, and he probably did some things wrong when he was 17. It wasn't just his brothers. But his brothers attacked him, put him away, and then eventually they, de- they lived for however many years denying the problem. So, and we will do that in light. If we're not willing to face it, we will find ourselves doing either side to get what we want. But God somehow always brings us back to that there is literally no other way than to face the conflict and to, he invites us and gives us the power to eventually forgive. So it was just interesting to me that Joseph's brothers tried both. And I don't know how, all, how long Joseph struggled with wanting to be in one zone or the other before God allowed him to forgive them. So one of the motivations to forgive is just love and, and a response to the love and forgiveness that God gives us, and, and it's out of obedience. So down on the bottom... Um, God's solutions to not go down the slippery slope, and none of these are easy. Um, but and I don't have a slide for this, and won't write it up here. But the first thing I see is just a readiness to forgive. A readiness to forgive. The second is a readiness to confess. The third is a readiness to repent, and the fourth is a readiness to correct. So it's forgive, confess, repent, and correct. And as I was thinking about this, um, I wish I had a scale, but I don't. So I'll, just thinking about why, you know, why is it that it's so, you know, it's so hard to, to live up here? And one of the things I had to think about is just even how our court system works, and I think this is even wired in us in our sinful nature. So our court system, here are are two parties, and let's say that this represents the problem. And the court system is literally designed to say, all the blame is here, or all the blame is here. You, You never hear a court case that says, well, in this case, I believe that it is 63% this party and uh, 33% this party, and that's how we're going to work it out. It's all about arguing that you are completely right, and the other side is completely wrong. And I think that that thinking can enter into us as well, that when we think about going up onto the top and forgiving, there are almost no situations that all of the blame lie one side or the other. And I will be forced to admit that I am. it's almost always split in some way, and I'm partially responsible. And so if I'm going to be on the top, there has to be a willingness to confess and to own my part, no matter what the other person did. There has to be a willingness to confess um, and to own that part. So in thinking about what God has in mind for us, I thought of John 13, where he tells us that he's giving us a new commandment, and the commandment is this, to love 
to love others the same way that God loves us. And so if we look at this and it seems, and it seems difficult to live, I have to come back to the fact that God's love and the way he loves me is the way I should love other people. And that's, his love is actually what compels me um, to love in that way. And thinking, you know, thinking again of the, the concept of the court case, when I think about how God loved me, let's say that this over here is me and this over here is God. There clearly was conflict between God and I. I, I mean, Scripture says I was literally God's enemy. And in, in the court case, if this represents guilt, this is the one time that I can say confidently the guilt is 100% on my side of the equation. And there's literally nothing, no responsibility on God's part. However, what God does in Christ, he comes in, he says, yeah, the guilt is 100% you, but I'm going to take 100% of the consequences onto my side of the equation. And now that I've done that, how do, how do you treat other people? Take the gift that I've given you and allow that to just flow out to other people. That God takes all of my guilt and says, go, go love other people with the love that I've put um, into you. I won't spend much time on this. This, uh, this passage to me just captures what God intends to happen in a church and in relationships. Um, one of the things he says in verse 8 is that above all, keep loving one another since love covers a multitude of sins. And covering doesn't have the idea of hiding and acting like it's not there, but it's just it's, it's saying I'm willing to take care of it. And then he goes on to say that he's put us in a body and we are to, his grace is to flow through us to those others in our body, in, in the church, um, his body. And if you think about this, if we are designed and gifted for God's grace to flow from you to me and from me to you, Satan loves if he can get us into one of these zones other than up here to where God's grace doesn't flow, where we're not just passing on God's grace and serving each other. And so often what's happening, I think, is Satan trying to keep us from experiencing what, what God wants to do uh, in his body, the church. Um, there are a few uh, references there related to confession. I will just um, highlight this one in Proverbs 28. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So again, as I, I look at this, just a willingness to confess um, has to be at the core of this if we're going to avoid going down either side of the slippery slope. All right, um, just a few observations about this yet. Did I miss any blanks other than the focus? Is there anybody that does not have an answer that's bothering you? Okay, let's, I, Marvin. Um, so there, that was the one that I wasn't going to give a lot of detail and let you listen. Um, but I think you're saying the motivation and root causes over here. One of the things that I would see, and I love to talk about this a little more, is it can often be a root cause of pride because you, or selfishness. 
because you really are trying to avoid a difficult situation. And, and what I was saying is that almost every conflict will require me to confess my part. And if I'm not willing to do that, um, unfortunately, it, it smells like pride to me. I'd like to say something else, but um, pride and, and selfishness. Okay, on the, just on the observations on the focus. So on the, on the one side, on the attack side, the focus is on you, as in the other person. So the focus is you did this, and I am going to make you pay. I am going to get what I want from you. So the focus is on you. On the escape side, the focus is on me. Yes, there's a problem, but I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to go there right now. I, you're probably not going to respond well, so I'm not going to talk to you. It's a, it's a me focus. On the work it out, the focus becomes on us. Well, and that is just a willingness that you matter to me, I care about you, and I want to work this out. So the one side is I'm focused on you, the other is me, and then the third is a focus on us. I talked a little bit about this, but one of, one of the things that's so sad is that on this side, when we want to get what we want right away, it almost always creates additional conflict and hurt to work through. So it, it can seem like the answer, but it always makes conflict worse. On this side, it can feel like the easy way out, but I would say, and think this through a little bit, if you live here too long, at some point, it will come out over here in one way or another. Um, if, if you try to avoid it, for, you, you just can't avoid it forever. One of the things that I also will say, even in, in reading about this and in, in observing, I think it's easy in a church setting. This feels very wrong. It's obviously wrong and we want to avoid that at all costs. This can feel like peace, but it's really not. And so the temptation, I think, as followers of Christ is to live in this zone here because it feels better and it looks better. Now, maybe, maybe you would disagree with that. That's not a blanket statement, but often, often I think that's where churches live. The author um, had said in working with many people, Primarily, churches um, as a culture can, can fall there. Anybody want to discuss that a little bit? We're running out of time, but I, this is one that I wish we could stop and talk about along the way, and if you disagree, that's fine. I am talking about conflict, after all. Um, one of the things, another thing that I just want us to think about here, and I've talked about a little bit, is just what are the long-term results of approaching conflict this way. Let's think one year down the road, two years down the road, and there's no good resolution. And what is the, the long-term hope here? There's no resolution to it. It's only as we are willing to, to deal with it with a, a humble attitude to confess it and to change that, um, that things can, can truly be healed and, and be different. One of the things that and studying this and looking at my life actually can make me almost mad, or probably does, is how Satan uses all of this. And, and 
I'll talk just a little bit as if we're talking about a business concept here. So let's say this is a cost and a benefit analysis. So what does it cost and what's the benefit? So Satan comes along and says, do you know what? Either one of these on the surface feel like they have a very low cost. I can do what I want. And, and then he also has the lie of believing that the long-term benefit will be high. So he's selling us that this is low cost and high benefit. But in reality, it is extremely high cost and zero benefit in the long run. And, and God's path coming this way has a pretty high cost, doesn't it? It feels harder. The cost is high, but I would, I would submit that the benefit and rewards are even higher than the cost of following God's way on that. Um, okay, to wrap this up, I was, as I was thinking about this, um, I took a picture of my neighbor's lovely bush that I'm partially responsible for. Our neighbor has an overgrown, overgrown little area around her house that she does not take care of, and eventually, every spring, we kind of let it, anyway, eventually it will bug Nicole and I bad enough that I'll go over and help her out. Um, this was completely overgrown, and I trimmed her tree, her bushes way back, and I got carried away and, and actually killed one of them. Um, and this was, we discovered this behind the one, the one shrub that we took out, anyway, just trying to help clean this thing up. So back here, we've got this little tree, and it was completely just hidden and overgrown by other things. So it is holding on, but barely. Um, I, like, it, it's barely making it through. And as I was thinking about what happens to, to our relationships when I live in the attack side of things, this is a picture of it, that relationships can last, but they have a lot of scars, and they don't, they don't thrive in the long haul. I was also thinking about what happens if we live in the other, in the escape zone. And I, I personally love bonsai trees, but if you think about a bonsai tree, it it's not that there's anything different about it. It's just that whoever cared for it knew how to trim roots and branches and all of this to keep a, I mean, this is a normal tree, but it just never grew to what it could be. And as I think about relationships in the escape side, I think this is what happens. They can feel okay in some ways, but they don't ever really grow out to what they could be. Um, and then, obviously, God's design or plan for us is that if it were a tree, that it can be full size and blossom and grow and flourish. Um, but the path between here and there involves humility, forgiveness, confession, caring for other people first, um, and following Christ. All right. Um, thank you for listening. I know that I spoke for a while and covered a lot of ground. Um, and I in no way want to make any of this sound easy. I recognize that we need the Lord to, to help us to, to live this out. Um, I do ask you a few questions on the bottom of your paper. And again, this is not across the board, but we tend to handle conflict the way we saw it modeled. And so just wanting to be aware of that. 
and wanting to try to handle conflict from God's perspective and as a body of believers handle conflict in a way that honors God. All right, um, go ahead, let's go ahead and stand. I will close this out with prayer here. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're here with us. Thanks that you love us. God, thank you that you um, pour out your mercy and grace on us, Lord, that you uh, have completely redeemed us, God. We are 100% guilty before you outside of Christ, and you have taken that, that guilt, that punishment, that shame, and you just literally load us with your love and your benefits that are undeserved. Um, God, as we think about conflict, um, we all deal with conflict, both large and small, uh, every day. Father, there's probably people here dealing with large and ongoing conflict and um, situations that we would never choose to be in and wonder how to walk in a way that honors you. And God, I just, I pray for your grace and your strength that each of us um, would not go into either of the zones that are not honoring to you, that, but by your grace that we could stay and pass on forgiveness, and uh, and just live in a way that honors you, and we desperately need you for that. Um, would you help us as a church to be a church that models you, that honors you, that your life flows through? Um, we can't do this on our own. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.